0: This podcast is brought to you by The Province.
1: Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the Province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I am Paul Chapman, joined by our expert uh, UFC MMA uh, writer, Spencer Kite. Spencer, how are things for you today?
0: Going well. How about yourself?
1: Uh ah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's, um, man, I tell you, I know we just finished the World Series, but I just adore this time in sports. There's so much going on. You know, the NFL's getting really interesting. Obviously hockey's going, um, you know, the NBA has started and, and now it's just great to have so much interesting stuff happening in the UFC. Um, not enough time to watch it all, but man, it's sure fun when you do get time. So we've got this, uh, we've obviously changed the format of this a little bit. We're going to start off uh, with our main event um, talking about uh, Vitor Belfort, which is a subject that really has kind of been lingering for a long time. But, you know, this is this strange dance that the UFC is doing all the time in terms of drug testing and what's acceptable and how guys get to where they're, they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the strange struggle the UFC faces, and and I know people will say like, well, they don't have to put him in the main event, and they don't have to continue to to use him, but it's one of those things where in the last you know year he's only fought once; it was the fight with Chris Weidman. But he's passed whatever random drug tests he's done. I think mean, the last USADA stat say he's been tested three times which seems a little low, and I agree with all of those arguments, but it sort of puts the UFC in a like, well, what do they do? Just not ever use Vitor Belfort. He's still a massive name, um, particularly huge in Brazil, and so he's not, he's out of the title picture for now and probably for the foreseeable future coming off that loss to Chris Weidman in the summer, but he's still a big name, so they have to book him, but at the same time, every time you book Vitor Belfort, we get this the same crush of narrative that we've been dealing with for, as you said, three or four years now of the TRT, the past drug, drug suspensions. And it just becomes insufferable to me. Like I'm, I'm tired of it. I like, I feel like we know it feels, and I, and I wrote it this week. It feels like he's the Lance Armstrong of MMA, where we know how everybody feels, but there's nothing right now that, that has been officially proven or can be done about it. And so we're sort of stuck in that same position of here's Vitor. Here's the story that everybody knows. Can we kind of just look at everybody else is, is the way I always feel about it.
1: Well, you know, he is ranked number four. He is, uh, you know, in the, the, the fight night main event this week against uh, Dan Henderson. But what, what's, I think what's odd to a lot of people, Spencer is that, whether you believe it or not, he claims he has this low low testosterone medical condition, which is why he's always kind of leaned towards supplements that he says you know aren't cheating. They're just leveling the playing field. And we've seen a couple of other guys with this. But it's always had this awkward situation where you can't fight in Las Vegas because they don't buy that kind of thing. It's sort of like, you know, sucks for you that you have this medical condition, but you do. So you can't fight here. Oh, but we will let you fight there because you're a great fighter. I I, I do find it fascinating, Um, but there's an assumption, I think, in in MMA, much like there is in in football, that everyone's on them. Everyone's on some sort of muscle building, recovery type of help, and they just mask it. Is that fair, or is that just a perception that's never going away?
0: No, I I think it's fair. I think that perception exists. And I mean, the thing with Vitor Belfort is there's no denying that in 2013, he was on TRT. Several fighters were. He fought exclusively in Brazil that year. Had three tremendous performances, all head kick knockouts against Michael Bisping, Luke Rockhold, and Dan Henderson. And that elevated him into title contention. Then Nevada banned TRT, so he had to and and he tested positive. He had elevated levels of testosterone for a a random test. So he had to pull out of the initial fight with Weidman that ended up taking a year and a half to finally come together. And I think Vitor has sort of become the guy and has become the face of the TRT era. Like he was the only guy on it. And maybe it's just that people think he's really the one, he's the one that you can see kind of the tangible benefits and you can see the physical change in him he looked like an action figure during that year. And then you saw him on the scale at UFC 187 and he looked like what I would think 36, 37, 38 year old Vitor Belfort would look like in good shape for a 38 year old, but not, you know, action figure physique that, that we had seen and his performance was the same. And so I think there's that constant harping on Vitor and sort of continued focus on Vitor that if he didn't get to use TRT, he wouldn't have been where he was. And I, I'm not even sure right now anymore sort of what it is that people are looking for in the Vitor Belfort thing. Because I think we all agree. I mean, we all know he was on it. We all know there were times where he had elevated levels and, and that's been tested and proven. And so it almost feels to me like what are, what are we still after? And that's where the Lance Armstrong thing comes in. Because Vitor has never addressed this. Openly and honestly, as as much as he says in interviews, oh, I'm all I I don't hold anything back with the media. Yes, you do. You do all the time. You never want to address this stuff. You actively asked out of or asked Ariel Hawati not to ask you certain questions. And when Ariel rightfully said, "Well, no, that's what I want to talk about," you pulled out of doing a show two out hour, two hours before. So. It just it just feels to me like we're we continually go in this circle with Vitor where we're expecting suddenly to have this caught red-handed everybody admits to everything that's been going on and it, it just to me it's never gonna come
1: you know it's it's an interesting sport Spencer because often you will see the most heavily chiseled or he- most heavily muscled guys don't do well because it's a sport that Brings or demands tremendous cardio, um, and muscles just chew up a ton of oxygen. So you see other guys who, obviously, these guys are all in shape when you're watching UFC, unless it's Roy Nelson. Um, I'm, I'm, and I'm just kidding on that actually. I know he's got a big belly, but these guys all have to be super conditioned. But there's a feeling that you know you don't actually have to have the bulging biceps to be a good fighter. Sometimes they're detriment. And I think of a guy like Alistair Overeem who was this. You talk about action figure. the The guy looked straight out of a cartoon. Right. Got busted for PEDs, and has really he is working his way back, but hasn't been the same fighter since he tested positive and is I get I guess is clean. I'm just guessing, uh, no evidence of that. But I, it's a weird thing for the sport, though. You know, maybe it's the recovery element because it is a brutal sport again. And I think people that that's the thing about steroids. Everyone thinks it's just to build muscle for a lot of people. It's about, you know, being able to recover from some grueling injuries. Um, Do you think the UFC has a performance enhancing drug issue or not?
0: I think they do. I think all sports do. Um, And I think that puts makes the UFC no different than sort of anywhere else, whether it's, you know, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, whatever league it is, guys are always going to be using whatever they can to kind of get an edge and, and be that much, that little bit better than the guy next to him. I mean, we saw earlier this year, the NHL came out and sort of addressed and said, yeah, I think we might have a bit of a cocaine problem. And I know people are going to say, well, that's cocaine. It's not a performance enhancing drug, but you know, if you do a little bump before a game, you got a little bit more energy than you would have otherwise. Um, I do think the UFC has issues. I think we all have sort of known that for several years. I think they know it. That's why they partnered up with USADA and brought in Jeff Nowitzki to to work to clean this up. I think we're kind of seeing that that's happening because we have seen some, you know, we have seen TRT set aside by Nevada State Athletic Commission and, and every other commission has followed suit with that. We have seen some some guys not look as good since the USADA uh, agreement came into place, which makes you sort of wonder if they just got off the gear and and now their performance is going to suffer and they're going to have to find that middle ground. But I think Vitor just just becomes that guy that everybody likes to he's the one guy that doesn't ever get any kind of pass, any kind of let off because for whatever reason, people just continually expect Vitor to cop to everything that he's done, where we sort of let some of these other guys skate with some of their stuff depending on how much we like them or how funny they are about it and things like that. And it just, it seems so not, I don't want to say pointless because I think there is always valid reason and valid cause for, for trying to address this. But it feels almost like you're bashing your head against the wall if you think this guy is suddenly going to change his tune and tell you everything he's been doing for the last bunch of years and that he's been cheating this whole time. It's not, it just, it isn't going to happen.
1: One of the things that is, I think, in the mix, and, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is, is age. And, you know, so he's taken on Dan Henderson, um, another guy who's well beyond his, his athletic prime. <laughs> um, and and it's, it is odd to me because I think if you break down the demands of the sport and going into that cage, um, it's really one of the most demanding athletic sports out there. Yet you've still got guys fighting well into their late 30s, which would explain to me why they're trying to, you know, in, in a short period of time, recover from an injury and also to keep that mass, some quickness, some agility, but the two for me, don't, don't add up that you're in your late thirties, you're still fighting. Um, and, and there's a bunch of young guys below you. I, you know, to me, it would seem the, the older guys who maybe feel they have nothing left to lose. One thing in that vein, Spencer, is I look at, uh, at spider Anderson Silva and, you know coming back from a pretty serious injury you know claims he didn't do anything on purpose but he it it just says look he wants his last hurrah doesn't want it the last image of him writhing around screaming and his leg flopping around like it's elasticated um he wanted to go out on his own terms and so therefore maybe he's looking at nothing to lose but as guys are older i think the temptation is there for whether it's one last payday one last title shot or just to go out on their own terms i see that temptation there to use them
0: yeah I think so as well and I mean this this fight is really and Ben Folks wrote a, wrote a very good piece on MMA Junkie about it this week sort of a look at and a glimpse at sort of the MMA PED struggle past, present and future because Dan Henderson was one of the earliest adopters of TRT long before it, it had become an issue and it became something that we really fixated on um, and he's sort of always gotten a pass cuz he's never had those elevated levels he's never had any instances where he's like his body hasn't transformed there hasn't been that physical change in him he's just always been Dan Henderson and so it's really interesting because i agree with you i think sort of i mean i anderson silva still hasn't admitted this and, and probably won't but i'm i'm of the belief and i think we talked about it at the time coming back from an injury, looking to recover faster, looking to get back in the cage, as you said, and have that last fight go out on his terms, took something, got caught, now he's paying his suspension penalty. I think that temptation very much is there for some guys. I think there are some that that just aren't going to do it because that's their stance, thinking of a guy like Michael Bisping who's getting up there and in- Is sort of had his career changed by fighting these TRT guys and by fighting these PED users. Um, But I think it is there, and and it is nice to see that the UFC is trying to take steps and and trying to move forward with with cleaning up the sport. I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing. I don't think it's a a quick fix, but they're making progress, I would say.
1: Well, while we're on that, why don't we take a look at – at not just Vitor and, and uh, Henderson's fight this weekend, but, um, you know, the rest of that card as well. What are you expecting out of the main event first? We've had a couple of weeks now without uh, without any uh, UFC happening, and and this is a nice uh, sort of, I don't want to call it a prelim because it's a good standalone event on free TV, <laughs> but it pushes obviously towards the pay-per-view with Rousey the following week, getting into a bit of a busy period here. What are you expecting from from the Belfort-Henderson fight?
0: I think it's going to be another sort of one of those interesting fights where where we kind of just need to see, I hate saying it, but which Vitor shows up because that fight with Chris Weidman in, in the spring I was there, it was cage side, you sort of knew that he was going to have that typical Vitor flurry, but after that he was done, he was spent. As soon as Chris Weidman got a hold of him got a, got his arms wrapped around him, I looked at the people on my side and said, This is done. Chris is going to take him down and finish him. And, and he did. Um, I think this is very similar. If Vitor can finish within the first couple minutes, then I think it's his fight to win. And oddly, I think the longer this goes, the more it kind of favors the grizzled old man, Dan Henderson, who's just, you know, a couple, couple shuffle step forwards and, and look for that right hand as he's done so often. It hasn't, as much as a lot of his game has eroded and he's now really a one-dimensional fighter that one dimension is still pretty dangerous as we saw with Tim Bosch and so I think if we get out of the first round it's it's Dan Henderson's fight to win
1: so I know we just speak product of his age and frankly prior to that last win it was starting to look really sad um could this be the last time we see Henderson
0: I mean, he's he's talked in the preamble to this about wanting a rematch with Jones and sort of looking at some of the different fights that he, he'd like back, some of those losses that, that he would like back. Um, and so I think Dan's a guy that, that the UFC will always kind of give him the opportunity to say he wants to fight again and to say he wants to keep keep competing. It's crazy to me that he's 45 and, and still going in there, but I think this fight will will really determine a lot of where he goes next. If he gets beaten badly, it's it's hard to see him coming back. Um, it's hard to see the UFC bringing him back. But if he goes out and picks up another good win, as he, I mean, not a 28-second win like he did against Tim Bosch in June, but if he goes out and has another good performance where he gets a finish of Vitor Belfort, I think we, he continues to come back and be of this guy that he is right now headlining fight night events um against middle of the pack middleweights and and see what happens from there
1: what else do you like on that card
0: oh i i love this card this is a this is an event for me and it's part of why the whole focus on vtor and and continued focus on vtor is frustrating for me because there's so much else that i enjoy on it i think the light heavyweight co-main we've talked about that division a bunch Glover Teixeira really interested to see if which of his last couple fights is, is more the real Glover Teixeira. Is it the guy that looked very good against Ovin St. Pro last time out? Or the guy that looked very bad against Phil Davis? Um, I'm a huge advocate of Thomas Almeida. We'll have a story on him on Thursday in the paper. 20-0, um, and 24-year-old, just a phenomenal talent. I love the lightweight fight between Gilbert Burns and Rashid Michael Medov. Um, and then just even the prelims are are full of fights that are interesting to me for one reason of another or another. I love Gleason T Bow just because he's a cagey old veteran. Um, the Pedro Munoz Jimmy Rivera fight that we talked about last week as my fight of my sort of sleeper fight of the month is on Fight Pass, and so this is just we've talked about it at great length on this show. This is one of those fight night events where it's on free television. It's built in my opinion the right way. And and with sort of the right combination of fights. So it's a perfect sit back on a Saturday night. If if UFC is what you're gonna to pick to watch on a Saturday night, you're getting a very good card this weekend. Uh
1: yeah, absolutely. But we know also know that we'll get a steady dose of of you know pushing ahead to the Ronda Rousey <laughs> fight, which is how this works. And you know, we you and I have talked about this a lot. We touched on it quite a bit last week in the booking of of fights. And this is where you do look at a Dan Henderson and you say, well, it is a name, right? So we shouldn't gear everything always towards the casual fan, but there's a chance of some of the guys you've mentioned here. These are the the, uh, events where you want to kind of maybe get familiar with a guy that you weren't familiar with, that might intrigue you to pay attention to or even buy a a pay-per-view next. Is there a young guy on this card that if someone is deciding, should I or shouldn't I watch it, that you would say, keep your eye on?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a couple. I think they're that are at sort of different degrees of of readiness. I think the winner of the Pedro Munoz Jimmy Rivera fight can be somebody that moves into the top ten by sort of this time next year. But the guy that for me will will have immediate returns if he gets a victory is Thomas Almeida. Um, as I said, twenty and zero, nineteen finishes in twenty fights. I've been at his last two fights. In person, he is phenomenally entertaining to watch. Um, he's a guy that he kind of just goes in there and, and trusts that he's not going to that you're not going to knock him out, that you're not going to beat him to the punch. Um, his performance against Yves Joubert in Montreal was was terrific. It was it was the fight for me where I just said, okay, all the hype around this kid, all the all the talk about him being sort of the next great Brazilian prospect is legit then he went out and had a hell of a fight with brad pickett in in las vegas at ufc 189 ends it with a flying knee that was just beautiful um talked to him last week and and he's just he's so focused on step by step getting to what he wants to do and and knows sort of the goals that he set out for himself so he said after the fight in montreal i'd really like to fight in las vegas it's the fight capital of the world i want to i want to get a win there goes to UFC 189, does that gets the chance to fight at home in Sao Paulo this weekend, and and he's a guy for me that if he gets a victory here and it's another another performance bonus kind of kind of performance, he'll be in that top five and he'll be in that title discussion at bantamweight very soon.
1: Okay, now that kind of does it for our, our first uh, charge where we say that that's our main event. So we'll move on to the next uh, portion, which is what we call. Um, fight of the week. Now, I'm still going to revisit the one you said you didn't want to do after, <laughs> but you wanted to start with Misha Tate versus the UFC. Yeah,
0: I wanted, I wanted to sort of start with, because we haven't actually gotten to it on the podcast at all, because it sort of has come in between shows most of the time. So Misha Tate right now has basically said she's considering walking away from the sport if things don't change for her. Still very dejected over... Mm-hmm getting pulled from a third fight with Ronda Rousey has basically said, you look at what Ronda's made according to Forbes, $6 million last year. Well, I've made ridiculously less than that. And I'm far more popular than a lot of these guys that are making much more money than me. The UFC kind of wants me to keep going through this murderer's row of contenders while Ronda's getting this kind of pick and choose of, of available opponents. It feels like, and it's super interesting because Misha Tate, for me, is the second most popular female fighter on the roster. She has always been kind of a good soldier. Obviously, that benefits both sides. You do a lot for the UFC. It does a lot for your image and your brand and your career. But to have her at this point where she is, I mean, she's full-on said, I don't want to have direct contact with you. Go through my go through my management team from now on. I'm not taking this Amanda Nunez fight that that people were – you know, expecting me to take and and pushing me to take, it's crazy to me. It's also as as Jeremy Botter said on Bleacher Report today, it's really commendable because we haven't seen a fighter really take this stance and take control of their career, sort of in the wake of the UFC, kind of doing them dirty and saying, you know, going into that Jessica I fight, it was the winner gets Ronda. Coming out of it, it was, yep, you've earned your third shot at Ronda, and then a couple of weeks later, we find out no, it's going to be Holly Holm. Misha found out like the rest of us by people texting her and Twitter blowing up um, after Ronda was on Good Morning America. So it's really interesting to see her take this stand and I can't wait to see sort of how this plays out going forward because I don't think it's going to be just one of those things where the UFC says, I mean, they have made November on Fight Pass about Misha Tate, which is sort of one of those like, all right, you're trying to you're trying to make it better, but but highlighting her on Facebook re- or on Fight Pass really just isn't enough. Um, but I also don't think it's going to be a thing where they just throw a bunch of money at Misha Tate and all is forgiven. So it's going to be interesting.
1: Well, it is Spencer. But first of all, and not only is it commendable that she did it, I think it's commendable that a woman does it because I just think that the UFC as an organization do bully fighters. Um, To do what they and they change their mind however they want. However, what are her options? I guess going back to Strike Force, but you know, typically if you try and take on Dana White, he comes off as pretty petty and vindictive. I don't necessarily know that she could win that fight, and I don't know that she could win the fight against Ronda either. I'm not that I'm terribly conflicted on it. I think once you're promised something, you should probably let that happen. But look, she lasted to the third round against Ronda, but. And she's looked good since then. But I still think we say there's Ronda and there's everyone else. So, I mean, she's still there. There's absolutely the possibility of another fight. But unless she does something drastic, I I don't see her really being in a position to challenge. Having said all that, do you really want to be pissing off the UFC when (laughs) Ronda's let it be known that she's going to go off to Hollywood sometime soon? And then who's the person well-placed to be the face of women's MMA?
0: Well and and I do think Misha would, would be that person sort of to be to replace Rhonda if she comes along. And I don't think she can beat Rhonda either. But the thing with the third fight is you get that so let's say she was in this fight coming up next weekend. She then is on all of these media calls. She then is in all of these promotional trailers. It's it's then Rousey versus Tate. So your name is associated with it, your name is affiliated with it you get the increase in, in attention. You get the increased Reebok sponsorship pay. As ridiculous as that has to be as like a factor in this, you get more money for being in the co-main of or for being a title challenger. And it's more than Misha Tate makes now. Well, and so and Spencer- there's those little elements as well.
1: Yeah, I just want to jump in on that. I think once when people do see the numbers, I mean, not only is it flabbergasting some fans, I think other fighters have to say seriously when you, and I know that there are hidden bonuses that but we that we don't know about, but when you you look at what Rory McDonald was paid and what he went yep. through versus what you see what Mendez and McGregor made on that fight, it's tremendously inequitable
0: well, and, and that's the thing. And so you say what what options does she sort of have? I'm not sure what her current contract status is in terms of how many fights she has left. Um, I know it's been sort of floated out there in the MMA universe of finish a contract and go to Bellator where there's looking like there's going to be a 125 pound division, which is sort of that happy middle ground between the two weight classes the UFC has where a lot of these female fighters would probably be at their best. Um, That would be an opportunity to go and sort of be the face of that. Um, Outside of that, I think it's just standing up for for herself and for her opportunities and and things in that regard, because she kind of needs to, because you're right. I think the UFC does kind of bully guys into, bully fighters into fights and sort of into positions where they feel like they have no choice but to accept. Misha Tate's in a position where she has a little bit of leverage. She has enough name recognition and enough brand value that she can kind of push back a little bit and it's going to be interesting to see sort of how all of this plays out in the next couple of months as as sort of we see if the UFC pushes back or if they just say well Misha can Misha can sit out and she can hang out because you know every time you decline a fight or turn down a fight it adds a couple months to your contract and so It'll be interesting to see where this goes.
1: Well, and and the one thing is, Spencer, it's hypocritical. It's not fair. Um, but female female fighters, they their looks count. They do in the marketing of it, and uh, Rhonda will always stand on, alone on her ability. We know that, but it does—it certainly helps for her to go on Jimmy Fallon and and to make appearances in Howard Stern and and you know uh, any other mainstream TV show that she has the look as well. And I, I believe it's part of the allure and mar- marketing Paige Van Zandt. and that is something Misha has on on her side. You know, Misha can be a very compelling character because she goes out there and is tough as hell i still think back to that sarah mcmahon fight you know gets her orbital bone broken broken in the first <laughs> round and then out wrestles an olympic cal- caliber wrestler to come back and win that fight that to me was one of the gutsiest performances i've seen men or women in the ufc of all time but the fact you can put her on a poster and she turns some heads too that is valuable for the ufc
0: oh it uh, it absolutely is and that sort of the other part of it for me, why why I'm so impressed with her doing it, and so intrigued by by how this is going to play out, because we talk all the time about the UFC's need for stars, their need for recognizable people. Um, a lot of people in sort of discussing this, and some of the guys at Bloody Elbow have broken it down, sort of segment by segment and quarter by quarter for her Fox fight with with Jessica I, and it sort of the ratings show that she does better numbers now mind you this is pay-per-view versus live tv but does better numbers than some of the champions that just haven't really caught on and and can you really afford to kind of burn someone that i would say is in the top 10 most recognizable fighters in the ufc whether that's you know good bad or otherwise in terms of how well the ufc has promoted some of these champions and some of these other fighters that have maybe accomplished a little bit more Misha Tate is a big name. Misha Tate is a recognizable face and a recognizable fighter. And so, to me, you kind of want to keep those people around and you kind of maybe need to sit back and, and start addressing some of these issues that people are bringing forward a little more earnestly because she makes very good points. It sucks for her to sit there and have Dana White turn over to her in Chicago and say, You've earned the third fight, you've earned your opportunity to fight Rhonda again, to start getting pumped for that, and then two weeks later have them or whatever it was, a month later, have them pull that out from under the rug and, and you're just like where and they didn't tell you. It just it becomes a like, Are are you kidding me?
1: Well, absolutely, and it's nice to see someone stand up for themselves that way, but as I said before, I don't I don't know where that will leave her with Dana White. Right, right. Um now you originally had the Jones Cormier <laughs> stuff down which you've written about at, at your blog uh, at province dot com, but um and then you switched to the Misha stuff which had bubbled up this week but I still want to I still want to touch on the Jones Cormier thing. I'll tell you what I and and if people missed it it just kind of started innocuously on Twitter uh Albuquerque Jones's new uh new gym they were or they were opening a new facility. Um, you know, a guy, you know, Brandon Gibson was involved, was talking about it. And all of a sudden (laughs) Daniel Cormier jumped in and kind of inserted himself in the story. And then John Jones answered back and answered back and didn't delete it. Um, but I thought what was funny was, you know, Cormier, who always claims to be taking the high road starts bringing up his criminal record saying, yeah, I'd like to fight you right now on the street, but you know, we, we don't don't want want you violating violating your parole parole, buddy. Um, and then it, it degenerated into some more stuff but what i liked was that jones wasn't apologetic about it afterwards that he you know although he claims to have changed and he's training full-time and everything else that doesn't mean he's trying to be mr nice guy here he's not hiding his contempt And you see you know bloody elbow has a video this morning of him deadlifting 585 pounds um talking there are everyone's talking about how hard this guy is training in the gym that they've never seen him more focused more determined uh, maybe this is all laying the way for a move up to a, a higher weight class and to be that heavyweight kingpin that the UFC has been searching for for so long. Uh, maybe it's just cheaply selling a fight, or maybe these guys just don't like each other. But I find it good for the sport.
0: I find it good as well, and and I agree. I like the fact that I think we're we're seeing more of the authentic John Jones than we have in the past. Um, it's it's similar to the talk trash, post stuff on social media, and then delete it. John Jones just now he's keeping it up. Um, I also like that he has said a few times this week and sort of in interactions with people on social media, he's starting to at least say that he recognizes he was living a stupid life and he was making some stupid mistakes and he's working to correct that. So those are positives as well. Um, I thought it was good fun. I thought it was, was amusing back and forth between them. Um, DC doing a horrible Photoshop job of the, <laughs> new, ja- of the new Jackson Wake MMA Academy, which I hear is just a ridiculously beautiful facility. Um, Brandon Gibson then jumping in and saying, hey, I, I was with John at my favorite diner, at my favorite restaurant here in Albuquerque. Um, I think it's I think it's one of those things that this now is, and what I wrote about it, earlier in the week was just, okay, we've, we've got them back going at each other and that, that fire has been sparked again. Now we need to get the fight booked and we need to get them, get a date that we can circle because as much fun as this was over the weekend and amusing as it was, this first sort of rekindling of it now that John is back, I don't want to go through six months of this. I don't want to go yeah, through eight absolutely. months of this. I would like to see them fight. I mean, I think the latest date that they would probably go is if they get this New York thing at Madison Square Garden. That makes perfect sense. DC has said he doesn't want to do that. So maybe we get it in March somewhere. Um, historically, that has been a, a Texas show, a Dallas show. Um, but I, I just don't want to see it drag out until July because between now and then, this will go from being amusing to, okay, yeah, we get it, to, oh, my God, could you please stop and just fight already? Like, and the analogy I made was was the Conor McGregor-Jose Aldo thing. We got through that. As we were going through their world tour, it got to the point of, like, oh, my God, they're not fighting till July, and it's only March. <laughs> this is insufferable. And so hopefully we get this fight sooner rather than later, because I do think... It is the fight everyone wants to see. I think it's the fight the division obviously needs, and it's it's a fight that really holds a lot of sway on that division and what happens there going forward.
1: Well, I mean, honestly, it, it's interesting to me. Daniel Cormier's um, he's thirty six. He just signed. I I just saw news of it this morning. It may have happened yep. yesterday. Just find and signed an eight fight deal. Now he's claimed that he wanted some time off here. Presumably, his next fight is going to be against Jones, whatever that time frame is but so he's looking to me to fight 30 you know to do four fights a year i think was is too much maybe three maybe two so you're looking at a guy who's going to be fighting into his 40s probably um but the the stuff about jones intrigues me as well you know a guy who's pushing the weights that hard does lead me to believe that he's starting to think about heavyweight so you're absolutely right about this he wants his belt back he wants to beat cormier maybe there's a rematch with gustafson um you know, the heroic loser who does these great right. great, legendary fights, but can never seem to win. But then I think, yeah, you might look at Jones and saying, okay, well, he's moving up.
0: Yeah, I think there's only a couple fights that, that sort of remain for him in this division. Obviously the rematch with DC, we'll see how it goes. If Cormier happens to win, we'll get a trilogy there. I still am interested in the fight with Anthony Johnson, because that's a guy with, as we've talked about at great length, crazy punching power that that you know we saw him drop Daniel Cormier with the first shot in their fight. I'd like to see John Jones against a guy like that. Then there is as you said maybe the rematch with Gustafsson we'll see. And this is this is the other part of why I really want to see this fight come together soon because I want to see what happens with a guy like Ryan Bader who coming off a win over Rashad Evans rumbles actively trying to get him in the octagon in a number one contender fight. Ryan Bader is correctly in my opinion Avoiding it like the plague because he's finally done enough to put himself in a position where he can say, I'm probably next in line. I'm on the longest winning streak of anyone in this division, not named John Jones, not coming off in of suspension. Now should be my opportunity, but he's obviously got to wait to see what happens with John in D.C., and that kind of puts him in, in a bit of a, a tricky spot because if they do wait and do that fight in July... Ryan Bader's got a fight and the only fight that makes sense is Anthony Johnson and probably there goes your winning streak. So hopefully this, this plays out, but I agree. I think, I think the future, the long-term future of John Jones will be moving up as we discussed, I think last week or maybe two weeks ago.
1: Do you not like Bader Gustafson or is is the timing not right because he's going to need time to recover from his last fight?
0: I just don't think that I'm, I'm rarely a fan of putting a guy that's on a big winning streak against a guy that's coming off even though it's a harrowing loss and and it's a championship fight loss I'm rarely interested in seeing that just because if Alexander Gustafson goes out and beats Ryan Bader which I very much think he can then you've burnt a guy that's on a winning streak to put somebody that just lost a championship fight that has two is is one in three in his last four would move to two and five but he's lost two championship fights coming off that knockout to Anthony Johnson. It just sort of puts another guy that we already have kind of established and that we've already seen in those two possible championship fights back into the mix when you can maybe buy yourself a little time by getting Bader that fight and by letting Gustafson sort of go back and regroup and rebuild rather than get a win and then set him up for potentially another really good but ultimately unsuccessful championship fight
1: it's great stuff that's why i find that division so intriguing because i mean gustafson needs a win he certainly does and you're right right, i would probably pick him over bader um but you've got like bader wants his title shot but clearly to me there are there are four if not five guys who i don't really give him much of a shot against um but it's you know yeah you've got to look at, at what what the draw is and where where the storylines really are in the division there. And and as we talked about earlier, if Glover Teixeira has a dominating performance this weekend, maybe he feels the right to put his hand up and say, no, I want back in, right? So
0: Yeah, and, and he would be a guy for me that, that, you know, potentially matches up with Anthony Johnson. Um, just from a Glover's got a wrestling background, he's got some pop in his hands, he's got a good chin. That would be a fight that interests me more than seeing Ryan Bader shuffled in against Rumble Um, just from a, okay, Glover's got a couple wins now. Rumble got his sort of get right win against Jimmy Manua. We could put these two guys together a little bit further down the line or sort of in the same area as a Gus or or as a Ryan Bader fight and just sort of see where the division's at from there. Or Bader can just, I like the idea of maybe letting Bader just kind of sit out and hang out and, and wait to see what happens with Jones Cormier so that if so that he does maybe get his shot. I know it sounds weird to be like he's earned his shot and he should be allowed, but like he's earned his shot. He's done everything that has been asked of him. He's won five straight fights. There has to come a point with these guys where they're able to say, there's nothing else that makes sense for me other than fighting for the title. That's what I want to do. That's where you should book me. I don't want to take anything otherwise because you just end up continually burning off challengers and and sacrificing guys. And we see with all the injuries we see with all the changes, you need guys that are credible challengers that are credible contenders and and ready to step into those fights if the opportunity presents itself. And I would rather have that than see a good fight between Anthony Johnson and Ryan Bader, where a guy that we just saw lose to Daniel Cormier um, beats up Ryan Bader and and puts himself right back into the mix.
1: Well, you know, it, it again, it's you have to try and look two, three fights ahead, and you're right. absolutely right where you're trying to match these guys up and say what makes sense so we can still have a little bit of heat. But there's a lot of those names underneath, and then you look at what Jones has done to most of them. So, I, again, This spec just because they throw out a weightlifting of him, of John Jones lifting an incredibly heavy amount of weight. People are now starting to say, "Oh yeah, maybe this is he's trying to move up. Maybe it's just a guy who's incredibly focused." Just before we we leave this and move on to the uh, the championship rounds, have you heard from Brandon Gibson or anyone else about how John has looked now? Because there, look, there's speculation he could end up being too muscled. He could end up being too hyped. Cormier is still a really really obviously talented guy who's he's burning with desire to face jones as well we hype up these fights spencer especially when there's trash talk (laughs) and bad blood on the line and it often falls flat on its face so i don't know what you're hearing about john jones but one of the things to me is if this guy has been distracted in the past if he kind of yawns through his life and then knuckles down for the six weeks before a fight if this guy's motivated all this time (laughs) it's scary to think of what he could do
0: Well, and I haven't reached out, but that's a conversation that Brandon and I have had in the past of just if John, as you said, was sort of just doing the eight week, 10 week, come down to Albuquerque, lose the belly, get in shape, and then prepare for that one guy. And we saw how great he was. Now he's set aside the childish things, um, is moving forward and is focused and dedicated and all of the different stuff that we've seen. Even just as you said, from these lifting videos, the drive that's there right now—if this is who he is now—it's just—it's—it's it's crazy how good this guy could be. The fact that he's only twenty-eight sort of still plays in there as well. That that feasibly we could see him fight for another ten years if he wanted to, um, and then he's just as old as Vitor Belfort is now. To me, he's already the greatest of all time, and and what he would be it could potentially do going forward is just scary
1: yeah and i also think there's a lot of guys out there who don't like his personality but i i think his personality and his look and certainly his profile you know i could see him going into some sort of movies tv entertainment afterwards he does have that kind of look of, a, of an action star
0: yeah absolutely and, and i think we touched on that last week he is the guy that there is there is a charisma to john jones there is a a a, a very engaging personality there as much as there's also sort of the bristly social media stuff that we see he does have that charm to him when you get in the room with him and you talk to him and he's in good spirits and he's wanting to he's wanting to put it put forth a good representation and so I think the sky's the limit for him inside the cage and and I think as you said there are opportunities for him whenever he decides his career is over or sort of as he wants to move into the next phase of things.
1: Well, Spencer, there's your last, as there's a little (laughs) bit of a segue here, as we move into your last segment called the championship rounds, I feel very passionate about it as well. Um, but one of the things is I had said, if people have been listening to this for a while, I had to put my John Jones shirts away when he had the legal situation, but I didn't throw them out. Um, I did get some Jones stuff because he was my favorite fighter when he was with Nike. Let's let us have it. <laughs> what is this that you hate about uh, in in the championship rounds here? What's your issue here?
0: So in the last, I want to say week, there have been a bunch of different Reebok shirts that have sort of made their way into MMA Twitter and and onto MMA Twitter timelines, and there isn't one of them that is any like they're just. So there's individual. they have shirts of individual disciplines that make up mixed martial arts. And they're stick figures with red trunks and red gloves. And, I mean, the stances are stupid. The designs are poor. Uh, they're stick figures for, for another thing. And they just say, like, UFC karate or UFC jiu-jitsu. Then we saw yesterday uh, Reebok promoting a UFC MC Gregor. Gregor shirt Uh, they put a space between the MC and the Gregor for Conor McGregor Um, but it's actually a John Jones shirt which you can tell (laughs) by the fact that it says JBJ up in the right hand corner and has the big lion on the side of it Um, so it's either a John Bones Jones or John Bon Jovi shirt Um, it just it, it feels like everything about this deal has been either rushed or managed in a horrible way or there are people that just have no understanding of this sport and what people want and what people are looking for running this partnership and i mean i'm a guy that was on board with the idea of uniforms because i do think it it presents a certain degree of professionalism i don't i don't miss seeing you know 400 different small brands with their designs and everything i don't miss seeing sort of the nascar effect on fighters pre-fight i like the way they look walking out in the reebok gear in terms of the the sweatsuits and i like that the corners all look the same and you don't have guys up there in their jeans and a white t-shirt and whatever but if you're going to put this stuff out and you're going to charge exorbitant amounts of money for it as they are oh my god it needs to be better because right now, and, and some people on Twitter, Front Row Brian, various other MMA Twitter personalities, are actively doing the, like, is this, are like, are they just actively trying to screw with us now? Like, are they trying to make this as bad as possible? Or is this just what we have that reflects so horribly on the UFC and so horribly on Reebok and this partnership that it just becomes a farce of, like, this is the deal you got? This is... If you're supposed to be, as we've talked about a great deal on this show, holding yourself on par with the NFL and the NBA and and other major sports leagues, and this is the material you put out from your licensed apparel producer, it's brutal. Like, it's just, it's, I can't understand how anyone would buy some of these, some of this stuff.
1: Well, that, that raises the issue. I mean, I'd love to see their, their merchandising numbers, um, you know, I, I have no, I've yet to see anyone in any of these <laughs> shirts. I mean, you go to these events. Uh, I don't know if you see people walking around in them. Um, I think it's okay to be with, you know, a, a, one uniform designer, but they, they need more style. They need more personality. They need more substance. You go to the NFL shop, which is the one that they're always comparing themselves to. You can go on whatever your favorite team is, and they have literally a hundred different styles of T-shirts. The stuff to me just doesn't look good, and I don't see people wearing it. And you're absolutely right. There's a the the goal was to professionalize things, but it's been shoddy. It's looked cheap, but frankly, I don't think it's connected with uh, with the fans at all.
0: I don't think it has either. And I mean, you see, you go to events and you see sort of a handful of people wearing the biggest name. So obviously UFC 189, you see some people with Conor McGregor shirts. Um, I've seen a couple people with Rory McDonald, Rory McDonald gear, but it's not like an NFL game where you show up to a home field and a third of the crowd is in their Jersey with their favorite player or their own name on the back. It's, it's, it's not at that level. It's never, to me, it's never going to get to that level. Um, I think, as you said, there's so much that they can do to make this better that I want to see if when we get closer to the sort of one year mark of this, they make some drastic changes. Because the the really funny thing is, is walking around at the UFC Expo in July, there are some really good shirts. Like, I know I took a picture and put it up on Instagram of a really good Rory McDonald shirt. Uh, maple Leaf in the center, circular banding around it with his name and his nickname, just a nice, clean, easy-to-wear shirt that you can wear out that it doesn't look like, you know, the old Affliction stuff did or the old Tap Out stuff did. It also doesn't look like these cheesy stick figure UFC fighter shirt, UFC discipline shirts. There needs to be more of that and less of the junk that is getting put out. And whoever's you know, in control of the UFC store and that website and the Reebok end of it of sort of titling who these shirts are, they need to do a better job. Because, like, we all thought getting some of the names wrong for that initial launch, all right, you cut them a little bit of slack. Like, it's not acceptable because you got to get the names right. But, all right, so you went with Kevin Swanson instead of Cub Swanson. He never gets called Kevin Um, And little things like that. But to still but to be labeling a John Jones shirt, Conor McGregor is just like we're at the point where the kinks should have been worked out. We should be starting to see kind of the next phase of, okay, here are the improvements we can make. And instead, we're continually seeing this junk that just makes you think, oh, my God, how is this the deal that the UFC got?
1: Yeah. And when, when Jones was, a, had an individual deal with Nike, he even had his own shoes. Um, yeah. It was professional. It was, it, it, it had the Nike cachet with it, but there was, it, there was some real individuality to it. It looked good. It's stuff that you would, you know, you would want to walk around in. And, and I, I don't know if Reebok's leading the charge or if they're following some, direction from someone at the UFC but they need to get it sorted out because much as you said you'd seen some cool Rory McDonald stuff you know George St. Pierre had the old affliction looking but they always had the fleur-de-lis in there somewhere there was a real identification to the athlete as an individual not this sort of bland stuff where they literally are just swapping out the name so much that they forget to swap out the name in an accident like this happens.
0: <laughs> well and that's the other thing so at the expo they had this giant wall of t-shirts basically of of all the different stuff that's out there and alongside that really cool Rory McDonald shirt is basically every like every specific Reebok athlete so the people that have individual Reebok deals with the same style of shirt so it's a picture of them with their name basically layered on top of it over and over and over again so you've got McGregor you've got Van Zant you've got Hendricks, you've got Pettis and it's like, really, you can't find a way to individualize these so that they're appealing. Like, Dethrone did a great job with Connor's shirts when he first came out with the stick figure with the hands up. I mean, you even if you just want to play on sort of nationalist and, and traditional ideas of the Irish and use a four-leaf clover similar to the maple leaf and the Roy McDonald design or find something about each of these people, that lets them be a little bit differentiated, as you said, with the John Jones stuff, with the, you know, Bones nose and stuff like that. Give them something other than just continuing. Like to me, as much as I understand that uniforms make for sort of homogeny and, and uniformity, hence the name, there are ways to still individualize these and, and make them, a little bit different. Everybody in the NFL wears a uniform, but every team looks different.
1: Absolutely. Every team
0: has a logo, something that you can identify with, that it's, you know, they're all made by the same person, but they have their own signature colors, they have their own signature look, and that's what you identify with. And right now, all of this Reebok UFC stuff is, you see UFC, you know it's UFC, you know it's Reebok, you have no idea who it is, or it's just the same generic stuff where you could, you know, you buy that Conor McGregor shirt with his picture on it and there's somebody next to you that has the same design, but it's Anthony Pettis. It just feels like wasted opportunities and and really a missed opportunity so far to do something really good with with this deal and and moving forward in this direction.
1: Yeah, it's good stuff. So before we let everyone go, Spencer, anything else on your radar this week? You've been pumping out at Keyboard Kimura. So at theprovince.com, go find Spencer's stuff there. Also follow him on Twitter to... track down all the stuff he writes at spencer kite k-y-t-e but anything else on your radar this week before we say goodbye
0: just looking ahead to as you said off the top getting started with with four weeks in a row of of events and and seven events in the next six weeks Um, getting into that home stretch of of finishing this year hopefully with a bang hopefully we don't get any more injuries and we get all these fights that we're looking forward to
1: Sounds great. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, next week, we'll be able to look back on some of this stuff and also preview the Ronda Rousey fight. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll even debate whether it will fit in a whole Twitter video or not, whether we'll get past <laughs> that stage. Certainly interesting. Again, Ronda, I see her saying that she wants to showcase her boxing. It's one of these things where give me a challenge and say she's a, a boxer and I'm not. She's going to try and, and maybe prove a point. And that's always fun, always worth seeing. So we'll look forward to that next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard kimura.